0: All right, I'm excited today. We have Mike Silagazza of Etherfy. Uh, we're out here live at, well, we're not live, this is recording at ETH Denver. But Mike, thanks for joining us. Um, if you could give us uh, a little bit of introduction to yourself, how you ended up in this business and uh, why, and uh, then let's hear about Etherfy and what you guys are doing and building, and we'll take it from there.
1: Great, yeah, thanks for uh, having me, I appreciate it. Um, sure. Uh, so my background, uh, I guess like a lot of people, I got, uh, got into crypto pretty early. I bought my first Bitcoin in 2011. Nice. Uh, so, wow, that is early. Uh, I, read, you know, I read about it on Hacker News and just started goofing around with mining and uh, you know, uh, just, just watching the space and playing around with it. Um, sure. Uh, and I have been dabbling in it ever since. But in parallel to that, I actually ran another company. I started it out of undergrad around that same time uh, called Top Hat, uh, which was an education technology Nice. Company, uh, I ran that and had some good success with it. Uh, we grew it up to five hundred people and a wow. uh, good good scale. Uh, and then we actually sold the company about a year and a half ago. Wow! Uh, and part of the part of the motivation to uh, um, sell the company was actually uh, just seeing what was happening in DeFi. Um, one of the things that I you know didn't love about crypto uh, and still don't love about crypto is you know the majority of it is gambling. Um, sure. Most of it is very speculative. There's uh, Uh, you know, 95% is sort of this kind of hype nonsense and maybe 5% of kind of real value. But that 5%, I think, is going to change the world. And that's what excited me about it. In particular, seeing some of the early protocols, um, the early DeFi protocols like Compound and Balancer and Uniswap and all those guys um, made me feel like uh, this was actually delivering on the promise of crypto, what it was supposed to be. In other words, uh, you know, value creating software. That would actually let you do things that you couldn't uh, do before. Um, you know, it would really open up capital and uh, you know, all the good stuff that uh, you know, we all believe in. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, so th- decided to switch gears and focus on crypto full time. Um, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do, focusing no, on crypto? Or you were we just kind didn't. of like, I'm going to see what happens. <laughs> Figure it out. I, well, I, I had, you know, uh, there was a lot of capital floating around. Uh, I had a little bit of money now to deploy. Sure. Uh, and so what we did was we started a hedge fund. Okay, Um, and just, a just a crypto hedge fund, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, raised a a bunch of external capital, some of my own capital, uh, and ran two strategies, two, two funds basically under it. One was a market neutral U S dollar fund. Okay. Um, and the other one was an ETH staking fund. Nice. It was sort of like this one, two punch where like, Hey, you get your bond, like yields on your USD. And then you get almost like an index fund, uh, that had exposure to ETH, uh, with staking plus, you know, the. The, the yields, um, right, uh, and so I thought that was a good balance, uh, you know, of strategies. And as we started getting into uh, staking, um, and looked at all the options that were available out there, you know, the DeFi protocols, centralized exchanges, we very quickly realized that there wasn't anything that we were comfortable using. Um, pretty much all of them required us, one form or another, to give up custody of our ETH, right, which is. Kind of silly, like, all right, you're getting your 5% yield, then you're effectively giving up control of your asset. That just doesn't make a lot of sense, um, especially given the risk in the the system. And so we started building this thing for ourselves. um, And this thing eventually became EtherFi, which is the first uh, truly uh, non-custodial decentralized liquid staking protocol. Um, The way it works, one of the big differences uh, versus anything else that's out there, I think, um, is that the staker is the one that actually generates the keys in every other uh, protocol, every other staking option, the staker deposits their ETH, and then that gets sh- sort of shuffled along to a node operator who then stakes it and actually j- has the credentials. Uh, right. And there's varying degrees of economic incentives that protocols use to kind of like wrestle control from the node operator in a sense to make the stakers, uh, you know, varying degrees of, uh, more safe. Right. Um, but there's nothing more safe than actually just having your keys. Because if you have your keys, you don't really care what happens to the protocol or the node operator. Uh, you, just, you have your keys and you can get your ETH back, no matter what. If the SEC sends an angry letter to whatever protocol or node operator, you don't care, you just get your ETH back. Okay. So that's the first, like, first principles uh, starting point of Etherfi. It's the only one that lets you do that. The second big difference is we uh, are uh, building it in such a way that others can actually build services on top of the staking infrastructure that's deployed on uh on on our protocol Um, nice and those services um you know anybody that touches the blockchain uses one or, or a dozen different services to collect data to get apis to submit transactions to do all kinds of stuff and those services are all centralized which is fine in a sense you know the companies that run them are really good companies and they do a good job but i think there's a value in decentralizing those services and taking that revenue which is hundreds of millions of dollars at this stage, you know, huge amounts of revenue, um, and putting it back into the ecosystem. So in our case, those, that service revenue goes back to stakers and, uh, and node operators. Nice. Um, so that, that I think is a fundamentally different approach to uh, uh, liquid staking. Okay, so that's, I've got a lot to, to ask yeah. you about. Um,
0: okay, let's, let's get back to the actual staking yeah. mechanism and the key mechanism, because I really want to understand, I want our audience to understand how this functions yeah. in, in the context of uh, validators, node operators, and my ETH that I'm putting into your liquid staking program. Right. First of all, very excited at this moment because um, uh, I've looked at a lot of the liquid staking options in the market and uh, I'm only considering the decentralized ones. And I'm even more excited because you're focusing on be able, being able to build on top of it because I have something I'm thinking about for that. So, cool. So now I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, but I really want to understand how this um, generating my own keys and maintaining control of my ETH works in the context of node operators, validators, and staking. So if you could walk sure. us through that, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, so if you're doing solo staking, just yourself. Um, 32 or, ETH. Or, yeah, you've got yeah. your 32 ETH, or you're, maybe you're using Rocket Pool, which is awesome. So we're, we're huge fans of a lot of the other alternatives. I think it's worth saying that because... Um, there's a lot of people building a lot of cool stuff in staking, and I don't think there's going to be one flavor that like yeah. solves everything for everybody. Sure. So Rocket Pool is great for lots of people. Stakewise is great for lots of people. You know, Diva, just to give a bunch of people a shout out, uh, is is doing great stuff. So we're, we're one of many options, and I hope it's going to be a multipolar world. Okay. So the way the way it works, if you're staking with um, uh, you know yourself, um, you you well, you the first thing you do is you use the Ethereum Foundation CLI probably to generate a, a mnemonic and a set of keys. Right. Those are like the private keys that you use to then generate uh, uh, your validator keys. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then when you, uh, uh, when you do that, you then generate what's called deposit data, which is a public JSON information blob that contains uh, the withdrawal address, so where you want the ETH to come back to when you unstake right. it, as well as the, the public information that uh, identifies the validator that you're about to stake with. Um, then what you do is you submit that deposit data along with 32 ETH to the Beacon Chain deposit contract. Okay. Great. So that's that's the solo staking path. When you want to unstake, what you do is you uh, issue what's called an exit, a voluntary exit command, on the Beacon Chain. So this is a bit of a nuance on Ethereum that that's actually different with Ethereum than like any other proof of stake chain, and there's historical reasons for this, but. Uh, you cannot actually exit a validator to get your ETH back on the execution layer. In okay. other words, there is no smart contract you can write, impossible to write a smart contract that gets your ETH back, okay. which is like, like scary, right? right? The only way you can get it back is by executing uh, what's called this voluntary exit uh, command on the beacon chain. Got it. So uh, that means that you cannot write a smart contract that like both stakes and unstakes. You have to do it through basically an economic incentive uh, uh, mechanism. Um, Got it. Okay. So that's the solo staking loop. You generate the keys, deposit your ETH, and then to exit, you run your validator, then to exit, uh, you do this, this command, and then the ETH magically, gaslessly shows up in your withdrawal address, whatever right. you
0: specify. Okay.
1: Okay. So in our case, um, it's, most of those steps are the same. Step one, you generate your keys. You submit your deposit data and your, uh, your, your 32 ETH into our contract you then get paired up with a node operator. Okay. Um, there's various ways, you can select a specific node operator or you can just send it to auction, you know, whatever, whatever mechanism, you choose a node operator. That node operator uh, is then able to, uh, then needs the validator key in order to be able to actually run the, the node. Right? Right. And there's a, a sort of a key exchange that happens through IPFS, where the staker is able to you know, give just the validator key, encrypted validator key to the node operator. And then the node operator runs the node. Now when the staker uh, wants to uh, to get their ETH back, they have they have all the keys, they have the validator key, they have all the credentials, they just issue the exit command and their ETH magically shows up nice. in their wallet. So, so that's, are they
0: issuing the exit, com- exit command from your site or and that's executing on we're the We're gonna chain? give them
1: we are actually gonna give them that option to okay. not not from our site, because you don't wanna upload right, that right, to a website. Right, right, right. right. But uh, we are gonna give them the option where they can do it through us. If because otherwise they would need to run a beacon chain node, which is right. you know What's it's a bit of a hassle. Yeah. Um. Uh, or they could just do it themselves. We don't. You know. Obviously, if they prefer not to share their exit, their signed exit transaction then anyone else, that's fine. Um. But uh, But the, we'll give them that service for free. Very
0: cool. Um. Okay. So, are you envisioning? Uh, so first of all, you're not. This is not a liquid stake in offering where you're offering. Um, it actually is. Yeah. Fractional levels. Yeah, we already okay. okay.
1: So we talked about the use case of a person coming in with 32 ETH right. and, the, uh, you know, the whole sort of loop there. For everybody listening, that, that's the required amount Correct. to be able yeah. to be an actual that's validating right. on the. Every validator has 32 ETH. That's right. just a hard-coded number. Right. Um, so let's go to the next level of sort of detail. Um, when the staker does this, we mint uh, a withdrawal safe, which they control. Um, And the way they control it is using two NFTs that are minted. Okay, nice. So uh, those NFTs uh, represent the economic interest of the validator. They basically represent your control over the 32 ETH. The the two NFTs are, one is a transferable NFT, which represents 30 ETH. uh, And then the other is a bonded NFT, uh, which represents 2 ETH. The bonded Uh NFT is non-transferable. So in other words, you can't get rid of it until you exit the validator. Got it. What you can do with the transferable NFT is deposit it into a liquidity pool or a liquidity pool that then mints the liquid staking derivative. And that's how you get like a fraction of amount of ETH. Now, another user can come in and let's say they only have like one ETH or half an ETH. They come in and go directly to the liquidity pool, deposit their half an ETH or whatever, get the liquid staking derivative. Right. Uh, and now they've got nice staking model. exposure. Yeah, that's And nice. if a lot of people do that, the ETH accumulates in the pool, uh, then the pool starts minting validators, depositing the NFT back in, nice. and vice versa. If, if the pool runs out of ETH, uh, then it starts per- exiting validators, and uh, you know then the the, the ETH kind of gets replenished. Uh,
0: there, I'm assuming that this is really a fully automatic system where the person yeah. s- uh, setting up the val- being the validator is not controlling like some level of commission or take that they could take from the commissions earned, yeah. or is that well,
1: possible? Uh, the, the thing they do have control over, and this is just the reality of, of staking, is uh, the MEV and um, execution rewards. Uh-huh. So like minor tips and stuff. Right. Um, uh, that is like a, I guess you could call it like an honor system. Right. Uh, where they, they have to redirect those back to the withdrawal safe. Right. Um, if they don't do that, we, we have a monitoring service that detects cheating. Uh, we, we alert the staker if they choose to be alerted. Um, that, Hey, some, you know, the node is cheating you out of your MEV fees, uh, you should probably exit the node uh, right. and like find a new node operator and. Okay. You know.
0: That's very cool. And, and when, when I come in with a partial, um, am I picking an operator or just adding my, my no, ETH to the, that, to the that's just an auction. Pool? Okay, cool. If
1: you're going to the liquidity pool, that just gets auctioned that's awesome. off. Uh, that makes yes. sense. It's too complex. Otherwise. Very cool. This sounds really powerful. Yeah, it's very very exciting. I think it is it is a fundamentally different model, as I said, in that it starts with the staker generating the keys, not right. this sort of kind of reverse process. I mean, it's almost weird, to be frankly, that um, we have standardized as an ecosystem on this model where this, but the default is the staker loses control of their E. Like, right. Why, why, is, why, why is, that? is that the model? Why was that like, the model? Yeah. And and, well, it's probably the easiest for the centralized version. It is easier. Of this, right. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's easier. Yeah. And I think it, it was kind of like a process that was, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to speculate, but it was systems designed from the perspective of a node operator. Sure. It was from the perspective of, like, hey, I want to run a lot of nodes. Can I get others to come and stake with me so that, you know, right. we can do a, this liquid staking model? We started at this as a staker. We we're like, hey, we have a bunch of, we have, tons of ETH uh, as part of our ETH fund. We wanna stake it, How, what's gonna make us comfortable? Well, the only way we're comfortable is if we hold the keys. Can we design a protocol that actually lets you do that? Right. Uh, and th- that was the starting point. So I think that uh, in addition to, I mean, as, as you can see, like our, our system is, has a lot more complexity and, and that's bad in some ways, obviously, because more things can go wrong. Um, right. But uh, it's more uh, pure. I still think it's the right way right. <laughs> to do it. I mean, again, I wouldn't wanna stake any other, way. Right?
0: So maybe maybe I, I just want to make sure I'm understanding every component of this. This is a very, uh, from way that you've described it to me, it's a very top. I don't mean top down by top. I mean top down by the node, the, the the original validator putting their 32 ETH in. There is no market for the smaller liquid staking folks unless that person does that and then deposits the NFTs into the there, pool,
1: right? There needs to be somebody that's willing to put up the bonded ETH, right? Um, so, um, uh, I'll say two things. So the bonded ETH actually earns a higher yield. Ah. Um, so those two NFTs I described, there's the 30 and the, the, the two. two. The two ETH has a role. It has the role of like, you're responsible for that node operator. Right. Anybody who has that bonded, that BNFT, uh, they, they have the keys. Right. That's, their, that's their role. So their job is to monitor the node operator, because if there's a slashing event, right. working with a number of insurance partner partners, um, If there's a slashing event that the NFT serves as the deductible for the slashing insurance uh-huh. to protect the transferable NFTs. So you're putting your ETH at risk um, uh, and you're, you're also agreeing to exit if somebody asks you to exit the validator um, or else you get, you get slashed. Um, so there's a lot of responsibility associated with holding this BNFT. So it actually earns a 50% boost on the staking rewards. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so for a sophisticated fund, like if you're, or not a fund, or anybody who's like understands key management and all this stuff, this is a great way to earn yield on your E, Because you're getting awesome. a 50% increase in yields. You don't have to run nodes. You don't have any liquidation risk. You don't have any like complexity associated with it or leverage or whatever. You're just staking your ETH and getting an extra 50%. Your biggest Uh, risk is picking the wrong node. Yeah, and that's where you can choose. Like, hey, I really like, I don't know, Kiln, uh, who's a partner of ours. Uh, I really like Kiln or Finoa or whatever. Uh, I'm going to use those guys, and and I trust that they're going to do a good job. And that's probably a good assumption. Um, So uh, there has to be kind of a lineup of people. If there's tons of ETH getting deposited into the liquidity pool, there has to be at least a fractional uh, equivalent amount of people lining up to stake ETH. Um, uh, to, to be sort of the bondholders. Nice. So it's kind of like there's basically a 15 to 1 ratio that needs to exist between people who are willing to do the complex work of being a bondholder um, and people that are just willing to passively stay. Yeah. Does absolutely. that make sense? No, totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I get it. Um, have you, are you live? So we launched uh, what I uh, call a marketing gimmick, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, a fully audited contract where people can sort of... Lo- Line up and put deposit their ETH to accrue bonus points, okay. which will be then uh, taken into account when they you know, move their ETH to stake in our protocol. Okay. So it's literally a, it's a simple contract. You put in your ETH, you're accruing bonus points. When time comes to actually stake the ETH with us, uh, you're going to get boosted yields or something like that. Yeah, as yeah. Part so, of, and instead instead other of, so
0: you build up a pool of investors. You've got people exactly. Like so
1: we of- have we've been launched for I don't know like 48 hours. We've got I don't know. 3 plus million dollars have been deposited nice. which is not bad. No, oh, um, that's pretty good. We actually we limited it. We 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 limited the size that people could deposit because we really don't want people, you know, in and being stupid. Uh, so so we have a huge number of uh, I think a huge number of like small depositors, like people putting ah, in like that's great. 0.1 ETH, 0.5 ETH, which oh, is perfect. great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, so that's the first thing that's live today. The reason we launched that is cuz we wanted to make sure that when we announced uh, our protocol, which we did on Tuesday this week, um, people would have something to do. Right, uh, and so now that great, that's, they have some, some way to smart. participate. The actual protocol where they'll be able to stake will be launching uh, early April. That's our right. our awesome. target date. We're just in time for, for Shanghai. Nice, very nice. Um, in terms of the building
0: on top of it, right? Yeah, what? What, do you, what are you guys envisioning people utilizing the platform to do? Is this integrating it with other protocols, integrating with treasuries? What, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Institutional yeah. integration? Uh, so people can, and this, I'll say this, this is the most speculative part of what we're building, partly because there's a lot of technical implementation that we still need to figure out. Um, uh, and uh, the things that we envision now that could be built on that are kind of like unimaginative, uh, like they're just things that already exist or like, yeah, you could build it on top of ours yeah. too. And so I'll give a few examples, but like I'll just say, they're probably not interesting examples. It's more just like, here's how it might work. Um, um, so we we hope to uh, integrate with something uh, uh, with, with Eigenlayer, which you're familiar awesome. with with yeah, those guys, um, which is a restaking, uh, you know, platform. Um, Just so uh,
0: the audience that might not know what Eigenlayer is, it it allows for the reuse of staked assets to secure other protocols or uh, potentially other operations or services. Right. Okay. So
1: one thing someone could build on our our, uh, staking infrastructure um, would be like a decentralized RPC endpoint network. So you can kind of like say you've got these NFTs, these NFTs have metadata associated with the validator, like uh, they have like which client it's running, what geography, what the node operator is, what service it's running. Uh, and so you can enroll these NFTs, say, hey, this validator, I want it to be an RPC endpoint. This one is nice. a part of a private MVV pool. This one's uh, running some API. And then those nodes then run that service. The billing for it is run through uh, our smart contracts and the revenue is shared between stakers and node operators. Love that. So, so the simplest thing, probably the simplest thing you could build is an RPC endpoint, a decentralized RPC network uh, offering. Uh, it's probably a bad idea because RPC endpoint networks are actually like performance is really important, and it's kind of complicated to like do it right. So uh, maybe the benefit of doing it this way is it'll be way cheaper. You can almost do it for free in a sense, um, and uh, it's decentralized. And it's decentralized. Yeah, so you don't have any risk of decentralized uh, RPCs. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, Lava Labs is doing some cool stuff uh, yeah. with that. Um, uh, so that, again, it's like the most boring thing you could do, but Hey, you know, it's probably something you could cook up in like a weekend. Yeah. Um, but I think people come up with other interesting things. Uh, That's very cool. I, I love building an ecosystem on things. I've, I've, I've
0: always felt like one of the best ways to grow, um, and, and build what you're building is to have developers building things and let them. Bring exactly. People. That's great. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. the
1: only way I think to ultimately create any kind of differentiation or, uh, or a moat yeah. is like staking is great, but it's a, you know, it's kind of a fundamentally undifferentiated business that's yep. going where the margins are going to get compressed. So we're thinking, okay, how do we build something that, uh, is actually valuable and, uh, you know, can scale over time. And I think you, you have to almost commoditize the staking yourself yeah, and focus on like what else can people build on it, the ah, services and other stuff to, to add value. Yeah. I was head of product for a company that was in the internet fact space years
0: ago. And, um, you know, it was kind of this battle to the bottom for price and, and um, trying to do the most you could to recruit big companies to do it, mortgage companies, et cetera. And I said, look, one of the things we can do to expand this business and make a lot more money from it is just build out a developer network around this thing that nobody gives a damn about anymore. Right. Um, and, and that works really well, right? Because now you had people that were already embedded in banks and already embedded in mortgage companies who were like, oh, I can customize the workflow, I can customize this and and that, I think that's a really smart strategy. That's fantastic. On a side note, um, what most banks never realized that they were doing was they were booking an internet fax business, but they weren't actually sending (laughs) faxes. They were Because so much of it became internet fax amongst all the companies, it became this transferring of files across the network, (laughs) but they were paying per page rates for faxing. So, oh, wow. That's, yeah, was, that's clever. It was clever. And <laughs> still going on to this day. I mean, it's, there's, it, it's a really profitable business. Anyway, yeah. um, all right, so that's very cool. All right, so then the other piece I want to ask about is, um, you kind of threw out there that you're talking about products around this that are coming from you that are more data-oriented, that kind of thing. Can you walk us through, I mean, what you're going to build or have built or
1: what we're going to be able to do that you guys are going to be offering from that perspective? Uh, so do you mean the... We, I mean, I guess we probably will build some of the services at the demonstration. But okay. we actually hope to have others build stuff. oh so this uh, is
0: the building on so I, when you yeah. said one and two so when you said one and two, the first one you talked about was the core service and you talked about having hoping people will build on it, I, I misunderstood and thought the part two was you guys were actually going to be building data services, et cetera on top of it as well. I get it now yeah okay. so
1: the, the but it's more was, other people doing it. I yeah, get it. exactly. Okay. Like what we hope to do, and, and this is, you know, months out after we launch and we get some usage, um, is start hosting a series of uh, hackathons just to see what people build. Um, nice. And then, uh, and then raise a fund around it. Uh, well, raise a, sort of an ecosystem fund to invest in companies that are doing really interesting I love uh, that. That's a great uh, idea. Um, uh, and I think that's people are probably going to come up with much more interesting things than uh, what we can. How does the protocol make money? So we, like other staking protocols, we take a share of the, the staking revenue. Okay. 5% of the staking revenue. Um, and then in addition, there's protocol revenue that uh, um, uh, also gets split between stakers, node operators, and, and the protocol. Protocol revenue includes uh, the auction revenue that I mentioned. Yeah. Where node operators participate in an auction. Um, and uh, the, it includes also the, the liquid staking derivative. Because with us, instead of having to go like, to like a curve pool to you know, trade for the liquid staking uh, token, you would just get it one for one uh, on our uh, pool, uh, both, you know, minting it and, and burning it. Right. Okay. And we would take a, a small fee on, uh, on that. Nice. I like those. That, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, are you still running the funds? Uh, we, yeah, we're still running the uh, E the fund in particular because yeah, that's- that Makes uh, sense. It's uh, it becomes It becomes a regulated vehicle for people to invest in, uh, into the protocol. That's awesome. So that if you have somebody who's a an investor, they're interested in deploying it to DeFi or you know liquid staking, but they don't want to deal with like you know hardware wallet and yeah, figure it apps. out. Kind of stuff, yeah. um, uh they can just go directly through our that's our fund. Uh, that's also how we're going to be, uh, let's say, routing uh, American and Canadian investors. Nice. because we, we don't want to you know uh, ruffle any feathers. We're going to um, only limit this to international customers. Cool. Uh, Canadians and Americans will have to go through the E-Fund in order to uh, to participate. So they'd have
0: to be accredited in order to Correct. participate. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right.
1: Unfortunately, it's only accredited. That's yeah, easy. that's sad. That's depressing. Well, yeah. that
0: makes sense. Um, very cool, man. Is there anything else we should know about it? Where do people get involved? Are you guys hiring? What's,
1: what's we sure are. Yeah, we're hiring. Uh, if you go to ether.fi, okay. that's a sweet domain name. That's a sweet domain. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, ether.fi, go to there. You can apply for jobs. You can read our white paper. You can participate in our marketing gimmick uh nice. you can eventually stake through us all the great stuff that is there that's cool. exciting man i really love what you're doing i'm
0: i'm, I'm really excited about this sounds great, great. i love yeah, the ethos thank you. i love uh your approach
1: fantastic
0: congratulations
1: yeah thank you appreciate it thanks man cool. yeah awesome mike thanks appreciate it